I am taking a, a second week off from preaching, and I have asked one of our elders, Andrew Lang, uh, to give the message today. Uh, Andrew and his family uh, have been with our church the entire uh, history of our church, so we're coming up on 12 years, our 12-year anniversary next week, actually. Uh, they have been with us that whole time. They were part of our launch team. Uh, Andrew has served as an elder here for the entire 12 years uh, that we have been here. And Andrew has served in a variety of capacities in the church throughout the years. And uh, one of the areas that he has served in uh, for many of those years uh, is teaching our middle school class that meets twice a month uh, on Sundays. And uh, Andrew has uh, invested a lot into those kids. Uh, There's a lot of fruit that has come out of their lives. Uh, One of the things that I'm personally thankful to Andrew for doing is he challenged my son to learn the Apostles' Creed. And uh, um, when he incentivized it with the promise of $50, if it would happen, uh, Austin did did, uh, memorize it, and Andrew was $50 poorer. And... uh, but, but that was one of uh, my really proud moments of um, seeing my son recite the Apostles' Creed, and I was so bummed that I'm not the one that encouraged him to do it, but I'm thankful that Andrew encouraged him to do it. And I was talking to someone this week who has interacted with some of our middle schoolers, and uh, this person was just telling me um, how much our middle schoolers respond well to Andrew, how much they like him, and uh, just what a good job he has uh, done uh, with them. And so we're thankful for Andrew. Uh, many of you who know Andrew uh, probably perceive him as being a very serious person. And uh, he, he, he can be a pretty serious person, and that's, that's what you see most of the time. But if you ever see the other side of Andrew, let me just tell you, he is one of the funniest human beings that you will ever be around. But you'll probably just see the serious side today. So... Uh, with all that said, let's welcome Andrew, and Andrew, we appreciate you. Welcome him as he comes. Thank you, Pastor. So keep in mind, this is my second uh, service. So uh, the meter's going from serious to funny. I didn't know I was part of the lunch team. The, la- the lunch launch team. Oh, rats, I thought there was lunch. All right, that wasn't very funny. But I'll tell you what, this young lad, he's not in here, Austin Bird. Apostles' Creed, so I grew up Catholic. We did that every week, and it's pretty rote memorization for me. But this young lad, of course, there, were, there wasn't a hondo. I don't know what they call a 50. But, uh, you know, there were some incentives, but everybody was incented, so he did fantastic. And uh, that really just swelled my heart that a young lad would do that. And... Um, I want to uh, welcome you to Vineyard Christian Church. We're continuing in our series for um, called the Epic God and Epic Stories. We're going to continue, as you see in your uh, handout, with the epic and epic story from the prophet Elijah. But this would just be a uh, presentation held any time during the week or, uh, you know, just an event if we didn't call in the Lord's name. So bow with me, would you, and we'll pray to uh, God. Father in heaven, thank you for your Bible. Thank you for preserving it for us today. Thank you for giving us a trustworthy message of love that we see in your word. 
Thank you for caring for us so much so you would give us this message. Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit, your Holy Spirit, would fill us with wisdom this morning. Open up our meager minds and our stubborn hearts so that we can learn from your word. Thank you, Father, for giving us epic stories of your people and how you protected and kept them. We love you, Lord. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Second thing is, I've been in this building now for three hours or so, and I just had an espresso, so I need to get that out of my system. Wow, I love my wife, but I think she ordered wrong today. So I'm a little, a little going. Right, the epic series, epic. You know, I go on YouTube, I'm on Facebook, I'm hip, you know. Even though, here's another funny thing. Uh, when I started as elder of this church, I didn't really fit it. You know, I didn't sort of fit the, when I looked at myself in the mirror, but now I do, and that's kind of a bummer. I think, I, I think I'm the eldest elder. Oldest elder. But, uh, all right. So, I think the word epic is still used by the young people. Epic? No? You don't know. All right. But, uh, you know, what does epic mean? Amazing stories, awe-inspiring miracles, wonderful and heart-filling glimpses of flawed humanity interacting with the perfect creator of the universe. For this series, we're going to stay in the Old Testament, the First Testament, where we read about God's creative genius and how he set aside and kept a people to worship him, a people group, the Jews, who God protected and nurtured through time in order for his wonderful story to unfold in our lives. Today, as you can read in our outline, we're going to talk about the an epic story that God had in the life of Elijah. Many of the characters in the Old Testament are kings and prophets, both of whom were to lead God's people. Elijah is one of the better known prophets and more powerful, perhaps. Clearly, he was a worthy character for us to use in this study of the Bible. He's referred to many times in the New Testament as well. The particular era of history that we find in the book of 1 Kings occurs during a 400-year period straight after the life and leadership of Solomon through to the beginning of the period of exile in Babylon that God allowed his people to enter. The book of First and Second Kings was once just a larger book that was split up during the Septuagint translation. The book of Kings carries on the historical narrative from the books of Samuel as they describe the chronology of the period. One of the reasons for my excitement of reading the Bible and really one of the cornerstones of my faith is that I can trust the Bible. Other later written works of the Bible, written thousands of years later, by different authors and different tribes in different language, mesh well. What's called, there's harmony, and they match well, and they never contradict each other. So let me give you more context of this period in history. And it is a history book, Kings, and I would encourage you to read it. Here we see King Solomon, who we were told is the most wise king ever was the richest man ever. He, contem- he uh, completes the temple of God. He returns the Ark of the Covenant into the temple. 
and he ushers in an era of peace. Israel was at the top of its game. They're wealthy. They finally came to rest in the promised land. They were safe and they were fed. Everything's great. And we see in 1 Kings 8 that King Solomon blesses his people and extols them to have, quote, hearts fully committed to the Lord our God to live by his decrees and obey his commands. So everything is great in Israel. They have the wisest king ever, ever. Their temple is the temple to the Lord, Jehovah God, the true God, is built. And they're back in the land of milk and honey. And they can rest now. But what's the problem with this picture? What is seriously at risk here in this kingdom? What common denominator do you see in this story that the same troubles in all situations? Is there a big rainstorm coming? Is there an earthquake coming? Is there a fire? Are there enemies on the outside? No. The big risk for them that has plagued mankind from the beginning of time is, well, mankind. Humans get in the way. They step on the edges of the robes. They stumble. They fall because of sin. From the beginning of our existence, we people have been rebellious to God's plan. From the Garden of Eden to the difficult times we see around us today, we acknowledge God. And some of us have even accepted Him as our Savior and Lord. But we also often turn our backs to Him in rebellion. It happens today, well, at least in my life. Now, I'm only looking at this because the good thing about uh, having two services in a row, you can amend your... So I love Michelle. I know she's in here, but the uh, songs that we sing here. First of all, the Vineyard sings biblical songs, right? For the most part, I would say 99.9% of the time, this is straight out of Scripture. Behold a man upon a cross... My Andrew's sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. That doesn't sober you up. It should. Because you know what? This is me. This is written about me. I bet it was written hundreds of years ago. But that was written, that verse was written about me. So here we see the history of Solomon and we see the strongest and richest ruler of Israel at the top of his game, a man who was greatly blessed by God and yet he quickly rebels against God who commanded his people. God said, you must not intermarry with these women from a foreign tribes because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. So God wanted his people, wanted to protect his people from the heathen and pagan neighbors in the land. He wanted to keep them separate and holy to him. But what does Solomon do? He takes 700 foreign wives and 300 concubines. This is wise. This is the wisest ruler. But he's rebellious. He's got sin in his heart. So he rebels in a big way against God. And as he grows older, his heart begins to turn after other gods. He begins following Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians. And Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. And Chemosh, the god of Moab. The Bible plainly states that Solomon, quote, did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not follow the Lord completely as David his father had done. This greatly angered the only true God. And our God, Jehovah God. The Bible describes God as a jealous God. He's jealous for you. He's jealous for Solomon. God made us. He was created. We are created for his purposes. He loves us with a love that we can't measure. Many of us are parents. 
We think we love our kids with all our heart, not to the depth of love that God loves us. And when we say that we worship him, we worship him, yet through our actions we also worship false gods, this is a stench to him. It's detestable to him. Living a double life between loving him and loving the world or things of the world, this is a lie that he cannot stand. And as we see in the biblical history in the book of Kings, God allows mankind to wander through trials to be judged by him until we get to a point when we realize that we cannot live without him. And he commands that we absolutely should never seek after foreign or false gods. This is what happened in the case of Solomon, and therefore God raised up external and internal traitors against Solomon. Long story short, when Solomon dies, God allows the 12 tribes of Israel to split into Judah and Israel. For the next 400 years, history records that how these two tribe groups continue in the rebellion. They don't get it against Jehovah God, and they get attacked from, without, from, from outside and from uh, evil people on the inside. And throughout their rebellion, they continuously reject their maker, preferring to take on the clearly made-up gods of the pagan tribes around them. It's a sorry state. It's a sad tale of the most favored people, God's chosen people, rejecting the real and living God. He is the one who protected them when they were in exile. He's the one who miraculously fed them in a desert with dew from heaven, manna, the one who parted the Red Sea, the one who made them. I could go on and on, all the miracles God did for his people. And they would rather worship a stone idol than the person of God. And now we have to ask ourselves, is this tale simply reserved for this rebellious people from 3,000 years ago, or can it be seen in our society today? Rhetorical question. An interesting phenomenon occurs when you prepare for preaching. Let me tell you, while reading through this tragic story of the Israelites found in these books of history, how God created these people and kept them safe and, did, and just kept allowing them to repent and come back to him. And all the trials that uh, they had put themselves through into my conscience came the Holy Spirit, and he kept interrupting me. And by praying for the Holy Spirit's guidance in preparing to teach, you can't help but compare your personal life to that of the Israelites or the lives of the, you know, the country of the U.S. versus the country of Israel. Preaching's a tough gig, but it's a blessing because you're able to think about how much God has done in your life. I can tell you about the miracles that God has done in my life and in the lives of my family. I can also recount for you the wanton rebellion to God that I have at times lived through. I've rebelled against God. So am I so different than these cantankerous, grumbling, rebellious Israelites as seen in 1 Kings? Are you? It's a sobering thought. Good kings and bad kings. Good kings and bad kings. The Bible details 
that in the 400 years of history from David through to Babylon, that the fractured people group of Judah and Israel lived, they were led by righteous kings and bad kings. For example, Judah will have two bad kings in a row for 20 years, Rehoboam and Abijam, and then 66 years with two good kings, Asa and Jehoshaphat. And then they slide back into rebellion for 15 years with three bad kings. So it goes up and down, up and down, bad kings, good kings. That's Judah, by the way. I'm just describing Judah. History records that Israel had a complete steady eddy run of 19 bad kings in a row. They never had a good king. The Bible is replete with examples of man's inability to rule himself and to rule their kingdoms. That is to say, when mankind seeks to lead a country, seeks to lead a business or a department or a church or a family without the foundation of God's teaching and his guidance, it is risking failure. All through the history of his people running on this treadmill of good and bad kings or simply bad kings, God anointed prophets to scream at the top of their lungs, just like apparently Pastor Brian's going to do in front of your house. (laughs) I'd like to see that. Screaming at the top of their lungs, attempting to get the people to turn from their wicked ways. That's where the history of the Bible gets awesome. It gets epic. Throughout the histories seen in the books of Samuel and Kings, we see familiar prophets that you will recognize. Isaiah, Joel, Jonah, Hosea, Jeremiah, and to the prophet we're going to study today, Elijah. Do you see the wonderful harmony that's in Scripture, that I can trust this book that comes from God? So at this point in my presentation, some of you are saying, enough already with the intro. Let's get to Scripture. While some of you, rebels, are saying, oh, are we going to get to Scripture now? So yes, we are. So please turn to 1 Kings chapter 18. And we're going to go through the text verse by verse to understand what God has us to learn from this story. For the sake of time, we're going to start at verse 16. So 1 Kings 18, 16. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him. And Ahab went to meet Elijah. When he saw Elijah, he said to him, Is that you? You troubler of Israel? I have not made trouble in Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and you have followed the Baals. Notice, by the way, that King Ahab won't use Elijah's name. He just called him troubler. Because the name Elijah means my God is Yahweh. And of course, a wicked king couldn't, use, couldn't say that name because he's He's mixed up with these idols. So here we see the background of what's going on. We have King Ahab. He's the seventh king of of Israel who reigned over Israel for 22 years. His wife, also quite notable, by the name of Jezebel. She's a heathen princess from Sidon. Jezebel was a strong-willed woman and soon had the king convinced to worship the gods of her pagan culture, namely the storm god of Baal, and the goddess Asherah. Ahab was a wicked ruler, allowing his foreign wife to establish Phoenician worship on a grand scale. 
Jezebel had such control over her husband and caused him to persecute the true prophets, kill many of them, and chase the rest of them off. They had to live in caves. And we're introduced to Elijah, the most famous prophet of this era in the history of Israel. A man anointed by God to give a straying king God's message on how his evil reign was against God's plan and confronting the king to turn from his wicked ways. Elijah gives Ahab the prophecy that due to his leading his people astray and cleaving to these foreign gods, there would be no reign in the kingdom until God wills it, which turns out to be three and a half years. And since Ahab and Jezebel were actively killing his peers, Elijah, Elijah fled the kingdom and miraculously was sustained by God during the drought. So here's where we come to an epic story of Elijah we find in chapter 18. And I say an epic story because truth be told, the life of Elijah is full of epic stories. This humble little prophet, Elijah, was used by God. Let me give you some of the miracles. So remember, there's a three-year drought. Nothing's growing. He falls almost dead by the riverside that has dried up. And he's fed by ravens at the, at the side of the river. He runs into a widow whose jars of flour and oil have run dry. And miraculously, they're filled up and they never go empty. This same widow's son dies. And through, through the leading of God, Elijah restores him to life. And he parted the waters of a river so he could walk over. And of course, he's climbing onto a chariot of fire as he ascends into the heavens. There are many epic stories in the life of Elijah. I would suggest in this long weekend, you take some time and read it. It's fascinating. It's faith building. There's a lesson here, friends, perhaps, as we look at our own lives. How many epic stories does God have in our lives? Sure, we probably don't have, you know, miracles of getting onto a flaming chariot, But reading the story in the Bible gives me pause to look at my life to remind me how often God's miracles have touched my life. First and foremost, the fact that Jesus died for me and that me, a rebellious runaway teenager, uh, in my selfish, haughty character, realized that I needed a savior. The miracle of my kids being born and now they're uh, in college the medical miracles that we've had in our lives and God sustaining my income through numerous uh, job changes. So many times God has intervened and has been active in my life. These are our epic stories. You, I'm assuming, if you're honest, have had epic stories too. So God directs the prophet Elijah to return and confront Ahab with more prophets, uh, with more prophetic forcefulness Elijah returns and demands a confrontation with the prophets and priests of the false gods that Ahab is forcing on his kingdom. Verse 19, now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is your God, follow him. But if Baal is your God, small g, follow him. But the people said nothing. 
crickets. Then at verse 22, Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls for us. Let them choose one for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but not set it to fire. I will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood and not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God, small g, and I will call on the name of the Lord, capital text. The God who answers by fire, he is God. Then all the people said, what you say is good. That's what I would say. That's how I think they would say it. Hey, what you say is good. <laughs> Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one of the bulls and prepare it first. Since there are so many of you, call on the name of, of your God, but do not light it on fire. So they took the bull given to them and prepared for it. Life lesson. If you have a competition in business or in sports team or anything really, always go second, Right? Because you're going to be remembered the most, and also you're going to see those guys stumble maybe first. So Elijah knows what's going to happen. He knows what God is planning on doing. Elijah is orchestrating an epic event to make the biggest impact to these rebellious Israelites, and in God's infinite wisdom, make the biggest impact to us 3,000 years later. Elijah has the false prophets go first, so that their true weakness and impotence will be seen. Verse 26, this is where it gets epic. So they took the bull given them and prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Oh, Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar they had made. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. This is classic. This is epic. Shout louder. Surely he is a God. Perhaps he is deep in thought or busy or traveling. Maybe he is sleeping and must be awakened. So they shouted louder. That was funny. This is sick. And slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom, until their blood flowed. Midday passed, and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time of her evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. Okay, now we see how prophets of God can be a little sassy and can show some sarcasm and cynicism, but you have to admit it's a gutsy play that this simple man in a burlap sack robe, this prophet of God, goes up against 850 people on the other army. And I call it an army because it's a spiritual war. Martin Luther the German Bible reformer who just had a 500th year anniversary is quoted as saying, and by the way, if you want to, okay, that was 3,000 years ago. Let's go 500 years ago. Here's Martin Luther, one little guy. He was just a little monk, right? Little, you know, bald in the middle, little monk going against the Catholic church. It was the only, you know, church of the, of the day was Catholic. And he said, now that I can read it, because it was translated into German, whereas before it was in Latin, wait a second, this doesn't make sense to what I'm seeing in the church. So he went against this whole, more than 850, right? Tens of thousands, millions of people, this one little monk. That took guts, but God sustained him. And he said, Martin Luther said, of whom shall I be afraid? One with God is a majority. So take courage. 
believers today, when you get into situations where it seems like the whole nation or the city or your church even stands against you, and you stand in trials, take courage. I'm going to show you some pictures. I just got back from an Asian trip from work, and everybody likes to show pictures when you get back. So let me show you this big, this first picture. Lest we think that idols were 3,000 years ago, this fancy little stone piece was in front of my hotel. And I'm walking, trying to get my steps, trying to wake up 13 hours ahead of time. It's like, what is that? So this is called Hei Chi, if I'm saying it right. Don't really care. This is a god that the plaque next to it says, oh, we made this up 100 years ago to keep us from having earthquakes and natural disasters. I'm not making fun of the culture, but this happens today, okay? And I'm not saying I saw people worshiping this outside of my hotel, but the fact that it's there, you know, was a little creepy. And just on the catty corner to me were some gates and an altar where the emperor, you know, 3,000, 4,000 years ago was giving sacrifice to, to their gods. So... You know, this is in Seoul, Korea. Seoul, Korea is one of, by percentage of population, is one of the most Christian nations in the world. Did you know that? They put out more missionaries, that little, the third of our size, than we do. Okay, and yet they have these because of, well, it's just the way it was over time. You got to walk around these. You got to steer away from this. Uh, another picture is the next one. So uh, kind of a Memorial Day tribute I'm an ex-soldier, and I love hanging out with young soldiers. I was at the um, Korean War Museum because I couldn't get up to the DMZ. I was too busy, and I ran into these f- fine young lads, and apparently they were just mustering out. You have to serve for two years in the Korean military, and so they, were, they had let their guard down, obviously, when a, a captain of the U.S. Army comes up and says, hey, take a picture. They start throwing sort of like Crips and Bloods gang signs or something. <laughs> like what are you doing but we had fun but I want to bring to your attention as we uh, prayed this morning about Memorial Day um, 160,000 Koreans lost their lives South Koreans lost their lives we don't know how many Chinese lost their lives the next largest is the USA this was a UN war and we lost 34,000 Americans fighting for the safety of these people on this little spit this little spit off of uh, China And Ohio, they did it by state. Ohio lost 1,832. So if you multiply, I need a smart guy, you multiply 1,832 by 50, you're going to get more than uh, 34,000, which means Ohio is greatly represented. We sacrificed, our boys, our men and women sacrificed their lives for this people group. And I'll tell you what, you know, with the new political scene out there and everybody just seems like things are going crazy around the world. You have a business meeting in Korea and you bring up that your father was a Korean War veteran. Everybody on the other side of the table, CEO and all his people, they stand up in the meeting and they give me a deep bow. And from that point on, it's a great meeting, right? They love Americans as they should because we still have a lot of boys and girls stationed there. Right, one more picture and we're not going to do it yet. Scott, because this is a gruesome picture. Make sure all the babies are sleeping. Lest we think that this Baal worship and and stabbing yourselves as a part of the ceremony for your worshiping of your small small G God 
oh, that's just, that's old. That's a long time ago. The picture I'm going to show you comes from Iraq, from a sect uh, of the Muslim faith, that every year as part of their ceremony, the men slash themselves, okay? And, they, and if you watch it on YouTube, it's frightening how these guys are just beating themselves with knives. And so here's a picture of it, Scott, real quick. Okay, it's called Ashura. This was taken last year. This happens again. Okay, take it down. This, this happens. This is today. This idol worship, this pagan and, and uh, practices are happening today. So we have to be aware that this spiritual war is going on today. All right, we're going to go to verse 30. Then Elijah said to all the people, come here to me. They came to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which was in ruins. Elijah took 12 stones, one for each of the tribes, descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, your name shall be Israel. When the stones he built, with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he dug a trench around it, large enough to hold two shias of seed. He arranged the wood, cut the bull into pieces, and laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, fill four large jars of water. All right, so here we have the scene where we're having competing um, sacrifices. And Baal and Ashereth are over here, and Jehovah is over here. And yet this prophet says, hey, let's, let's make it more interesting. Let's pour water on it, right? And these jars of water are this tall. So he did that. He did it again, and he said, do it a third time, so 12 times these jars of water. So much water was poured in it that it ran around and filled up this trench. Okay, so he's stacking the deck. So look at this. At the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed. So by the way, they're running around chanting and dancing and jumping on the altar and stabbing themselves to get the attention of their small g God. Here's this little prophet who's watching this. He steps forward and says, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, so that these people will know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you are turning their hearts back again. It's a simple prayer from Elijah And it calls out to God on behalf of the people who are spiritually blind enough to wantingly yearn after their human desires and follow these false gods and stab themselves and do wicked things. Elijah is praying with power. He's praying in the name of God and on behalf of the lost. James 5.15 says that the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Elijah was praying for those who made bad choices. And it chased after worldly things and followed the low path of false beliefs. And that they would turn their hearts. He's praying that they would turn their hearts to God. Listen to me, friends. 20 years ago, I remember distinctly that I was sitting in a church full of people knowing deep down in my heart that I needed to get right with God. I had walked away from him in reality. I mean, if you think about it, if you're honest with myself... And it walked away from his commands. I was double-minded and following other gods of this world. There was still a little ember of faith sputtering in my heart, but I knew I had to get right with him. If that's your heart today, if your heart is beating kind of fast because 
I'm reading your story. That's good. And that's because the Holy Spirit is talking to you. Listen, this God of the universe that we worship, this God who wrote the book for us and preserved it for our generation, he called you to Vineyard Christian Church in Little Pataskala today. I truly believe that the Holy Spirit directed you here. And you may have come kicking and screaming on the inside with your wife or your spouse or your child or whatever, but you came here last week. I, you know, I go to both services sometimes, and I left after worship last week, and a young lady pulled into the church parking lot, and there was a great spot right up front, and she pulls into that spot, and I'm just walking, and, and she sits there, so I stop, you know. Anything I can do. I didn't talk to her. I was three rows away. She drives away. She puts it in reverse, pulls out, and drives out of the parking lot. I'm saying, Lord, bring her back. I am praying to turn her heart back. I hope she's here today. That was me, figuratively, uh, 20 years ago. Three times the preacher had to say, you know, it's a larger church, but there was only one. There were two guys in there, he and me. That's right, English, okay? But he was talking right to my heart. If that's you, you got to know that God loves you. And he is a God of second and third chances. And for me, it keeps going more than that. And this church, this strange amalgam of, of people, all different you know, parts of the city, all different uh, economic and thought. You know, but we, we come and worship the true and living God with all of our flaws And we love you too. And there isn't one believer, one true believer in this room who wouldn't stand up here next to you to support you as you repent of being double-minded. Just like I was. It took me three three weeks to figure this out 20 years ago, but we'll stand with you and we'll support you as you seek a renewed relationship with the true and almighty God. Let's finish. Verse 38. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood and the stones and the soil, and also licked up all the water. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and said, cried, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Then Elijah commanded them, seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let anyone get away. They seized him and Elijah had them brought down to the Kishon Valley and slaughtered there. So what an epic scene this is. God's single, little courageous prophet battling, as it were, against 850 of the enemy. Of course, this is a spiritual battle we're seeing. This is a heavenly battle between Jehovah God and the enemies of our soul, Satan. This is a spiritual battle where God is using a righteous prophet to stand up for his truth. A brave soul, just like Martin Luther, a brave soul used by the one true living God to educate his people, and to set the scene for God's epic power and might. This reminds me of Paul's letter to the Ephesians where he said, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, authorities, and powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And in the text, we see that it works. For a short period of time, the people get it. They turn back to God. They acknowledge him as the true God. God ends their drought. And God allows Ahab two major military victories. Unfortunately, Ahab backslides. 
That's predictable. Into his sinful ways, he commits murder. And again, God sends Elijah to prophesy about Ahab's demise. So God is a jealous God. He created you for a purpose. Before the beginning of time, he knew who you were. Your hairs are numbered on your head. He loves you so much that he gave his only begotten son to die on the cross for you. Now that is epic. That's epic. What? There's no other religion that says that. And we can prove it, right? And he did this with love so that we would have a means to gain forgiveness for the pursuit from our double-minded pursuit of other gods. So I'm going to finish here with uh, Joshua 24. If the worship team wouldn't mind coming up, everybody would stand up, please. We're going to finish with Joshua 24. If uh, we have prayer team here, we'd love to bring them forward. Let me read this. It's quite familiar. Now fear the Lord. This is Joshua 24, 14. Fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your forefathers worshipped beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your forefathers served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. Then he says, but as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. How loving is it that we have a God who allows us to choose? Now you've chosen to come to church today, right? But God allows you to choose. God allows you to stay home and cut your grass, go golfing, do, eat uh, barbecue instead of coming to church. That's a loving God who wants us to have a relationship with him, but to have the choice to do that and reject him like these folks did when they were... Uh, running around the altar of Baal. So we're very fortunate. You know, I was in Tokyo after that trip, and, you know, they're, they're, the Christian church in Tokyo is very small. And they, you know, they're just, they work six days a week. They're very driven people. They're very, very fast-moving people, and they don't have time for God. And we are so fortunate in the U.S. We're fortunate to have this church we're going to be expanding this church so we can have more people come in. But, you know, we are most fortunate we know about God. And I know Brian said this, but listen, uh, Christianity is a one-on-one relationship with the Lord. But then after that, it, it is you bring as many people in as possible. And we are studying this book in home groups. Tell someone just simple stuff. That's what Bible 101. Hold it in. No, no, no. Tell people about it. So I would encourage you to, if you're not part of a home group, to get this book. We can, you can talk to Heather in the office. But get the book. It's really simple stuff just to remind you. If you're a mature Christian, you've been around a while, or if you're a new Christian, really on fire for the Lord, you want to tell people about it. The God who loves us and protects us and continues to call us to Him. He wants us to turn our hearts back to Him. This God... Our God, the only true God, is epic. And if we don't get distracted by the false gods of this world who are waiting for you to leave this place and the world jumps on. If we don't get distracted by those false gods, God, Jehovah God, will cause epic stories in our lives if we allow him. 
So here's what I would suggest. I know I've gone long. I don't know what happened, like a time zone change or something, but uh, we've gone long. We're going to sing one song, and we're going to dismiss. Uh, just like uh, Elijah had an epic, you know, just a simple prayer, but it, it had meat to it. We love praying here. If you have some prayer requests, you got some family things going on, work things, or you have that still small voice in your head, which is the Holy Spirit saying, all right, it's time. It is time for you to get right with God. Uh, I'll be over here if you want to talk to me about that. I did this 20 years ago, and the church I was in right then didn't have this. that We had to go way in the back, and it was kind of awkward. But listen, come up and talk to us. And like I said, all around you are Christians who have been through this, okay? Just what you're going through. And they're willing to pray right there. You don't have to come up here. They're willing to pray with you right there. Just turn to your neighbor and say, hey, will you pray for me? And we'll do that. So don't lose this opportunity. I hope you have a great Memorial Day weekend. Get this book. Tell people about Jesus. If you don't know Jesus yet, today's the day. Salvation is today. So please ask to know about Jesus. Amen.